0: Today's episode is brought to you by a great partner for us and it is Connect Travel Marketing Leadership Summit. Connect Travel provides some of the best trade shows in the industry and the marketplace provides a unique format ...that allows you to get in front of the newest technologies and vendors that will help you take your marketing to the next level. In 2020, this event is being held at the Gaylord Palms Resort and Convention Center in Kissimmee, Florida... ...on February 19th through the 21st of 2020. I went last year, had an amazing time. Definitely think it would be a great idea for anyone listening to consider attending February 19th through the 21st. And guess what? President Obama is speaking this year, so don't miss out.
1: You're already investing in traditional media, do it right and invest enough so that it is profitable. Like, even if you are investing, but it's a smaller amount and your frequency is low, I don't think it's going to benefit you like you would want it to. So choose one if you have to, but do it right.
0: Welcome again, everybody, to another episode of the Destination Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Stoker, and excited to have you with us today. Before we dive into today's episode, uh, just a reminder for everybody of two things. One, we have posted in the last week so much content related to previous episodes, especially from our friend John Ricks at Nebraska Tourism, that it will be really valuable for you. So if you haven't yet joined Destination Marketers, I think now's the time to go in, request to be added. We'll verify that you're in the tourism industry Uh, And then you get access to a lot of the content that we talk about here on the show. So go do that. The other thing that I want to remind everybody of is how important reviews are for us to continue to be found, continue to climb up the charts, and expand our listener base as we have. Uh, We hit 7,500 downloads this past week, and that's a lot considering that we just started in April and we only focus on destination marketers. So pretty exciting to have listeners all over the world. Appreciate you guys following us and listening to us, and we'll dive in today's episode. Today we have a great guest. She is someone that I have known for a long time, and she works with me here at Relic. Her name is Sasha Jackson, and she is our media director here at the agency. And Sasha, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, 7,500 downloads. No pressure or anything. Yeah,
0: you better keep it going. we got to keep that trend line moving in the right direction.
1: <laughs> I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I wanted to have Sasha on, uh, and and we'll dive into this uh, after we ask her kind of our, our standard questions. But traditional media is something that everybody, well, almost everybody, if you're a destination, has to deal with and evaluate. And there's so many different options out there. I want to give you the tools today to be able to execute some of those buys, or at least evaluate if you're making good decisions on your media buys. But first of all, Sasha, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. What is your dream destination? You're a well-traveled person. So what? where haven't you been? I i
1: well-traveled. I really would love to go to the Maldives. So I've spent a lot of time looking at those pictures. <laughs> a little the bungalows pricey. over the water. Yes, yes. And I mean having had a baby this year, any relaxation time is just, seems like precious time. So that seems like my ideal vacation right now.
0: You know what? I, I, so I follow this Instagram account called honeymoon reviews and like 90% of the pictures are of the Maldives, Maldives, Maldives. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Great place, regardless of how you say it. Right. (laughs) Uh, But I would love to go. I think that's a great, nobody's talked about that as their dream destination here yet, but man would love to go. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Favorite place you've ever been?
1: Um, this one, probably Florence, Italy. Love Florence. And that Florence. was last year? Oh, you're going to make me remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, Either last yeah. year or two years ago. Yeah. I think two years ago. Okay. Two years ago. It's went fast. But charming place. Love the food. Did a little Vespa tour. Super fun. So beautiful. I mean, it's Italy. So you love the love food. Florence. What did you have? Oh, the first thing that pops to mind is gelato. (laughs) We had a lot of real meals too, but my favorite gelato. We ate this one shop like three or four times.
0: Really? While we were there, yeah. Name of the shop, do you remember?
1: No, it's Italian and it escapes me, but it's in pictures. (laughs) So if we need to reference it, we can pull those out. Okay, maybe we'll
0: throw a picture in the destination marketers group. So if you go to Florence... You can find the right gelato yes. shop.
1: Yes, we have a picture with the worker. We became really close. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that's yeah. how many times when you went go there. daily.
1: That's how it happens.
0: <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, those are, those are great answers. Uh, we, you know, Italy seems to be a popular choice for either dream destination or places they've been. I think the appeal's rising for me.
1: Yeah, you got to get there. It's so much to see. So much to see. Yeah, we did an Italy only trip. Um, a lot of people when they go to Europe will hit multiple countries. We just stayed in Italy and traveled all around, and it was awesome.
0: Great. Great. Okay. All right. Okay. Tell me a little bit, and and obviously I know a little bit about your background, but for our listeners, catch them up on what led you here today.
1: Oh, well, I've been um, in the industry for about eight years, and advertising was my passion in college, so that's what I studied. Um, I'm one of the rare people who was actually doing what they studied in school. But I worked um, both client side and agency side, so I worked on a marketing team for a while right out of college on the client side, um, which is nice to have that perspective now, and then moved over to the agency life, to the dark side, <laughs> or the good side. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've had
0: people on the show reference both sides as yeah. the dark side, so... <laughs>
1: okay, well, there you go. But anyways, yeah, I so and then my specialty was account management for a long time on the agency side, and... Um, and then you know the opportunity opened up at Relic to do media, and I, I yeah,
0: thought... we stole Sasha. Uh, we yeah. we talked to her and reached out to her after seeing that she was with another agency, and hopefully they don't hate us too bad for stealing a great <laughs> a great person.
1: Yeah, hopefully not. But it's been a good fit and kind of right place, right time. Media kind of fell in my lap, and it's been it's been fun. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Awesome. Awesome. And you've been in in this media role for a couple of years now and have been buying for destinations all over the country and other related companies too. Tell me a little bit about your current role, what it looks like and and how you kind of spend your time.
1: So just being traditional media director, I handle all traditional channels. Um, That includes direct mail too, which is something kind of fun and exciting, um, ever-changing and lots of options there with direct mail. So yeah, we just, we do all the planning and strategy um, for your traditional media outlets.
0: Great. Great. And then what about, uh, you know, you buy in markets all over the country. Tell me some of the markets that you've bought in so that people can kind of get a reference point.
1: This year, um, of course, Salt Lake, but Las Vegas, Phoenix, San Francisco, LA, Boston, Denver. Am I missing? So all over
0: the place. Yeah, all over the yeah. place. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, tell me what the transition was like because you managed accounts right and and you helped people kind of with their day-to-day and and sticking to their marketing plan and strategy you moved into media what were kind of the you know the new things for you what what made it easier coming from account management tell me kind of how that worked out for you
1: there definitely was a learning curve but luckily um my last agency was really heavy traditional media and the account team would help with that a lot. So we'd place buys sometimes. I did a lot of invoice reviewing, which gets you familiar with radio and TV really fast when you're checking spots and things like that. So I'm glad I had that background. It wasn't as hard as it could have been, but definitely a lot of things to learn. Um, I, a lot of relationships to build, You have to build those relationships with the vendors, and that just takes time. You don't necessarily have that on the account side. Um, So, yeah. Why are
0: those relationships so important, Sasha, to build?
1: You know, I mean, in my role, you have to negotiate a lot, and you have to have trust between the partners you're working with, and you want to know that they're going to give you the best offer, that what they're giving you is really valuable. And then you, of course, vet it as well, but it's nice on vendors I've worked with a lot. I know they're going to bring me their best package first. It's just an easier process. (laughs) It saves a lot of time.
0: Yeah. Makes yeah. sense. Yep,
1: yeah, but then you trust them to run things correctly, and you know, get you reporting on time, and, and that sort of thing too.
0: Perfect. Tell me a little bit about like, so you build those relationships, right? What What do you do? Because because lots of times it's like you're the vendor, I'm the client, you take care of me. I, I feel like you approach it a little bit differently. Tell me tell me about how you cultivate those relationships with media.
1: Yeah, this is something. I think about sometimes too, and I guess advice for clients i you I mean you definitely want a good working relationship, so I mean, even if there is something that needs improved it 's like you know not rude about it yeah. <laughs> um, but but also i 'm not afraid to you know request a lower price or extra items and i think I think just being up front, right, so I mean you want to have a good business relationship, and I like transparency myself when i 'm dealing with um, a lot of my vendors, so i 'm pretty upfront in you know, hey, that's a little over what we can do, like you have to cut it down or, you know, this isn't enough for the client, like I need a little bit more. So I think for people who are placing their own, you know, don't be afraid to have those conversations with your vendors. I mean, they're used to it. They'll probably respond really well to that, (laughs) as long as you're considerate in the way that you say it.
0: And and I've seen you do something that, like it's kind of a subtle small thing, but I've seen you you go out to lunch with a vendor and you foot the bill every once in a while and, and and kind of make sure that they feel like it's a two-way relationship. And I think those things that you do to cultivate those relationships, I think they really come in handy when it's time for a hard conversation or when you're off a, a little bit on what you'd like the client to receive and the, what they want to give the client, right? Sure. Uh, and I, I think if every destination would probably work on cultivating those media relationships, Probably get a lot more leeway when there's tough situations or tough conversations to be had, right?
1: Yeah, no for sure. And that's a good point too. And yeah, I mean if I want them to, you know, be up front with me, then I try to share as much insight as I can into our planning and you know what we're looking for on our end. So I think that's definitely a good point.
0: Yeah, I, I actually want to dive into that a little bit. So what do you share? Like what's what's sharing too much with a with a media vendor? And, and how do you make sure you give them enough information to instead of just be an order taker, give you the best plan to accomplish what you're trying to
1: do? That's a great question. Um, I, from my perspective at least, I mean, I don't mind sharing, you know, when our planning season is and kind of our goals, our objectives. I don't like sharing costs up front always. Now every vendor When you say is cost, different. you mean
0: kind of like our, your budget? Yes. Yeah.
1: Yep, the budget that you have to work with, mainly, mainly because you do want to have room to negotiate. Um, so <laughs> I would say, you know, if you can, see what they're able to offer and then kind of hone in on budget from there. Or give a range, right? But I do I, – I would go conservative first and then kind of (laughs) see. I like your comment on a
0: range because one of the things we're all hesitant to do is it's always magical, right? Because if you say, I've got this much to spend, what's the vendor's proposal going to come back at? Yeah. Magically exactly what you said you had, every dollar that you budgeted, right? And so if you give a range, it gives them enough information to say, all right, I'm going to put together a plan. This is what they're trying to accomplish. They've given me this range. Maybe I'll give them a couple of options and let you decide which plan is best, right? Uh, and, and so that's why I like the range idea. When you give them nothing from a budget standpoint, I mean, they could recommend a $5,000 buy. Right. They could recommend a $100,000 buy, right?
1: Right. And sometimes if you, don't, if you don't feel comfortable giving a range, one thing you can say is you can just say, you know, hey, we're a little tight this year we're a little bit strapped, but we do want to do a little extra with you. And then that kind of prefaces it to them like, okay, they don't have the world to spend. (laughs) They just have a minimal budget. So you can say things like that, like minimal spend, you know, a little extra spend kind of set it up that way. If you don't have a lot to work with.
0: Yeah. I think, and and another option is, Hey, tell me what you've done for a client in a similar business to me or a similar organization that had a similar goals what did you do for them and what did it cost them? And then you use that to kind of evaluate, okay, I can be in this playing field or, oh man, that's a little out of my league or whatever, right? Yeah.
1: No, that's perfect, especially for those. I mean, for us, like we know kind of a lot of that that we've done, you know, in the past. But for someone who's just buying that may not have that reference point, that's great.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So you've been buying for tourism for a couple years now uh, in markets across the country. What are you seeing? Like industry-wide, what are you seeing in traditional media?
1: Yeah, I I think that we're seeing a couple of things. Um, consumers have more choice than ever right now. So um, we're seeing a lot of media shift to be consumer-driven where they can consume it when they want on their own time, um, which is great, I mean, for the most part. And we have a lot of new advertising options that go along with that. So I think you have to be um, pickier, than before, a little bit more pointed, and I think a lot of people are more open-minded to try new channels. You know that maybe they haven't explored in the past um, with the emergence of you know digital and streaming and and everything that we have now.
0: Yeah, I've had people tell me oh man, back in the day, we could spend X amount on TV and we would just crush it. And it's like, yeah, TV was the only option back when (laughs) you did that. You had 100% of the attention, right? And when you say it's more fragmented than ever before, if you combine the digital options that are out there, all the different print options, TV options, radio, digital radio, digital TV, like it just goes on and on and on. So how do you structure a media plan that's going to to hit for your audience and grab enough of that attention?
1: I think it's really understanding your customer. Um, you have to know who you're marketing to really, really well. So I'm talking, you know, like age, interest, obviously geographic location. The more you know about the person that you're marketing to and not necessarily like your own preferences, even sometimes I'll be like, oh, this feels right, you know, but then it's like, no, take a step back. You know, let's look at what our goals are, who we're hitting, does this really reach them? Because we have so many options. You can reach your audience. There is a way. Yeah. So I think it's just the more granular it can be, the more effective your campaign will be.
0: Yeah, I guess there's more options, but you can also be more targeted. So kind of a give and take, right? Okay, what else are you seeing in the industry right now?
1: Oh, man. Um... Well, gosh, we, I mean, in general, for traditional media, we can talk about print a little bit. Let's talk about it. What are
0: you seeing in print? Yeah,
1: we, you know, print is declined over the last few years. I was looking at numbers a little bit ago, and it's like 8 to 9% drops, you know, year over year for subscription, especially newspaper specifically. But um, also with print, it's evolving fast as well. So there are some like augmented realities kind of interesting that some print is getting into that. Um, and sometimes, like, luxury travelers or niche groups, like, print does really well still. So um, that's been something interesting to watch. Like, it's rapidly changing, and I don't know where it's headed. Probably not for the positive in some aspects, but unless you're using it for some of those specific things that I listed.
0: Yeah, I think your general publications are in trouble. If, 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 uh, if I'm kind of a general population publication, I'm in trouble, but I think those niche trade publications that really have a tight audience that that are seeking out something like uh, the, that trade publication, I I think they're much more effective, right? Um, I think print has a business model problem, uh, and and the the problem is that it used to be that subscribers there's enough subscribers to pay for all the costs that come along with a physical printed copy of a publication, right? Well, now it's almost entirely dependent on the ad revenue, which, for something where the value has gone down, the ad cost has gone up because they have to cover their costs. And so, I think print, especially general print and not trade publications, if they don't change their business model, they're in trouble. and And they can die the slow death, or they can try to change. Right? And and I think. Uh, Trade publications becoming more niche is one way to do it, right? And I think the other is to come up with a business model that doesn't rely entirely on ad revenue in the print publication because what, the cost is going up and the value is going down, and no other industry can pull that yeah. off. Yeah, right.
1: well, and what you'll find with print, too, if you are booking print, like, their rate cards have a lot of negotiating room. So that's one advice I would give. If you're looking at print, whether it's trade or not, um, definitely negotiate down that rate card.
0: So if you're listening and you've been sent a rate card and you said, I'll take the quarter page that you show here and you didn't negotiate, Houston, we have a problem, right? <laughs> yep,
1: yep, yep, ask for a lower price. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. Anything else you're seeing from a trend standpoint in traditional
1: media? Oh man, I'm thinking. Um, I mean, we talked about streaming a little bit, just people you know, consuming as far as the TV side of things, streaming when they'd like and watching what shows they'd like. Um, a lot of cool advertising options with that. And I mean, now we have Disney Plus and a bunch of other platforms right. um, that are just merging into streaming. So I'm curious to see how that changes the yeah, landscape. Yeah, and how
0: advertising plugs into that, right? Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, and kind of what it does for even like the, some of the older streaming players now, you yeah. know, like Netflix. So Netflix has had some struggles launching, you know, some new shows. And anyways, so yeah, yeah I'll be curious to watch that.
0: Okay, guys, you heard me mention earlier that Connect Travel Marketing Leadership Summit is sponsoring the show. And the show's coming up uh, here in just a couple of months in Kissimmee, Florida, and President Obama is going to be speaking there. I'm excited to go hear it. Uh, I actually went last year and President George W. Bush was speaking at the time and, and also had a great time at that conference. It's a unique format that's different than anything I've ever attended because you have the ability to have a short conversation with different vendors and different destinations depending on on which type of business you are, whether you're a supplier or a destination But you get to have these quick meetings and find out if you're interested in finding out more. Uh, And I'm excited to announce that this coming year in February, we're actually going to be recording a live episode of the podcast from the Connect Travel Marketplace show. Uh, And we hope you'll come join us and and chat with us and maybe even be on the show. So go to connecttravel.com. You can sign up there and we hope to see you here in Kissimmee in a couple of months. Okay, let's take a step back then. Let's, Let's say... I'm a destination, right? And I am planning my traditional media for the year. What is your approach, Sasha, that maybe, maybe our listeners can, can glean from and say, okay, I need to kind of follow this same process?
1: Yeah, I I would say do as much research as you can on the market. So every market is different. It's laid out different. Some are spread out. Some are not. Um, they have different you know, income levels based on zones and areas within that market. So for traditional media, it's very expensive. If you don't have enough money to blanket the whole market and do it well, like to reach a good portion of those with a good frequency – then be a little bit more strategic in understanding the market, understanding, can we zone the cable buy? Can we hit certain pockets? You know, where is our audience? Are they a higher income level? Can I stop you? Is that
0: okay? You mentioned zoning the cable buy. And I don't know that like maybe some of our clients haven't explored cable. So what advantages like zoning does cable give you that maybe a network buy doesn't?
1: So with the zoning, you can just select a certain area within that designated marketing area, the DMA, um, that Nelson kind of dictates, you know, your TV range. Um, So if you don't have enough money to buy, like, the full DMA, you can look at certain zones, um, like little counties within that DMA that you could advertise on, and then it just gives you more freedom to do a good job, I would say. Don't spread yourself too thin, right? So if you have a limited budget, just think about – yeah, more pocketed buys.
0: Yeah, I would say a good example of that is here in Utah, the entire state is a DMA, yeah. <laughs> right? And and yeah. so if I'm a tourism destination and I'm trying to market to people just in Utah County, uh, yeah, Northern which is Utah. the Provo-Orem area, right? Well, if I'm going to buy a network TV buy and I'm only trying to hit Provo and Orem, I'm wasting 75% of my buy because 25% of the of the populations in Utah County, so the solution to that in a lot of cases, as you're alluding to, is a zoned cable buy where I can target specifically the geographic location that I'm going after. And it's not just tied to a DMA like network is, right?
1: Yeah. And, and you can pick more affluent areas that way as well. You know, I mean, if it's your own market you're marketing to, you probably know what areas are more affluent. Um or some quick Google searches if it's a new right. market. Um, but yeah, no, I love that idea. And that's an option we use sometimes for clients. There's a lot of different ways to approach TV. That's just one that could work.
0: Absolutely. OK, awesome. What about, uh, OK, so we, we were talking about your approach, and I actually interrupted you in the middle of that. So <laughs> what, did, what did we miss uh, in, in finishing out kind of your approach to traditional media?
1: Oh, gosh. Um, Yeah, I think it goes back to just understanding your goals. So if you're looking for widespread awareness or if you're looking for a little bit more of a direct response, I mean, a lot of traditional media is branding, right? So it's top of the funnel. It's going to feed into your other channels. Um, But I – so, yeah, I would just evaluate that and understand, um, you know, do you have enough – Google searches. If you don't in a market, then you probably need a lot of branding. You need some widespread media like outdoor and some other high-level tactics. But there's a lot that encompasses traditional media, um, like you know niche publications and partner websites like banner ads. A lot of lower cost items um, that you can do as well. So, it, did that answer your question? Kind of depends on, I guess, what you need.
0: Yeah, totally um, depends. I, I think the the biggest thing as you're evaluating a media plan, you touched on awareness and that that a lot of traditional media is branding. I think a lot of people want to look at a a media plan holistically and they want to say, I want to be able to identify what every single media channel we used drove. And so if it's billboards, I want to know what our ROI was on billboards. If it's TV, I want to know our ROI on TV. Tell me how you look at that because I know... uh, Some of these channels are very difficult to measure, right?
1: Definitely. Um, And this is the golden question (laughs) for traditional media that everybody wants to know. There are some ways you can track. So we'll talk about that first. There, If you have um, good insight into your Google Analytics, I would use that as much as you can um, to pair up with when your traditional campaigns are running to see if you find an increase in organic search online. So if people are going to Google and searching for you and it's spiking during the time that your traditional media is live, that's a good sign that – you are receiving a lot more awareness. Um, People are wanting to find out more about you, probably from your traditional media campaigns and could be from other factors as well. But um, definitely lining up those flights to see um, what the trends are like in your Google Analytics can help that. Um, Also with some other media like print um, and even sometimes on billboard, but you can use tracking URLs Um, You can use promo codes. On direct mail, definitely use tracking codes or um, tracking URLs or promo codes, tracking phone numbers. So it kind of depends on your channel, but I would use as much tracking as you have access to. Tracking URLs are free. You can set them up and direct them to your website um, on a lot of the print portions, but – um, TV, radio, and outdoor, radio can be a great direct response in some cases. Yeah, especially um, around events and stuff yeah. like that for tourism mm-hmm. destinations. Yeah. yeah, we've really seen it move the needle, and usually they're, you know, calling or purchasing or attending, so you kind of have some metrics on that, but really outdoor and TV can be really hard. Um, I'm an advocate for those being simple, branding-based, not direct response. Um, so just if you don't, if you're not looking for <laughs> widespread awareness, then maybe just stay away from some of those platforms.
0: Makes sense. Yeah, I think the other thing to take into account is the buying cycle, right? So yeah. when you've got the three phases of the funnel, awareness, consideration, and purchase, right? Well, from awareness to purchase, especially for a major vacation that we're asking a lot of people to book, mm. that could be three, six, nine months in some yeah. cases, right? I know right now I'm taking my wife to Hawaii towards the end of this year. I'm probably not going to book that trip until maybe March or so, right? But the awareness situation happened six months ago when I said, you know what, that's our next place, right? Uh, And so I I think the other thing that people have to realize as they're looking at traditional media and evaluating the effectiveness is – you can't look at a week after your TV ad ran and say, okay, did we get bookings? Did this happen? No, yeah. you have to look at it. In the end, a marketing plan, you have to look at it holistically and say, did the entire plan together generate results?
1: Yeah, that's right? thank you for bringing that up. Especially, this is interesting um, when we're talking about direct mail, when we track um, that for our clients. I see phone calls come in six to eight months. After direct mail pieces drop. Right. And so, this is
0: on, on products, right? This isn't mm-hmm. even necessarily on tourism. You're right. seeing on, like, we have broadband clients the, that we yes. work with. And they'll sign up from a direct mail piece eight months after we sent
1: it. Yep. Right? Yep. So we're seeing phone calls, like long phone calls, you know, some engaged phone calls quite a bit after it drops. And anyways, they hold on to some of those pieces. And same with billboard and TV, I mean, they, I would say it takes a few different touch points. So if you have a billboard up, it's going to take a while for that consumer to see it, to drive past it, to start to get familiar with you and then maybe curious about you and then maybe research you. So yeah, they kind of go through the cycle um, and it does take time.
0: Most travelers take, I mean, if, if you look at the, like the general population, most travelers take about one trip a year. Sometimes it's a staycation and that's your one shot. It's a, it's a staycation. Other times they'll take an extravagant trip and go somewhere, you know, more exotic. And then there's a lot in between, but it's usually one trip a year because of time and all that kind of stuff. Right. So if we're expecting someone to be ready, just because we decided they should be ready. And as we were planning our advertising campaign, that's just off. Right. But if we don't do the work up front in the awareness phase, they never make it to consideration and purchase in our funnel. They're going to be in somebody else's funnel, right? Right. And that's why traditional media to me still has such an important place because if you don't do your awareness advertising, you don't even get the option to participate in the consideration and purchase phase. Yeah.
1: And I mean, one thing that's interesting about traditional media too is there is a lot of digital emerging. However, it is a very crowded landscape and some parts of traditional are too. But in some ways, traditional stands out and reaches you in ways that digital can't. Um, so there is that aspect to it. But an omnichannel approach essentially is the best way to go with that and talking about digital. But
0: Absolutely. Okay. All right. Okay. I got another hard question for you, Sasha. Okay. you ready? Ready. All right. I am a destination... And I get one of the 4,000 phone calls that I get a year saying, hi, I'm so-and-so with this media outlet, and I would love to have you place a buy in our publication, event, uh, guide, whatever it is, right? How do you know if it's worth it?
1: I So I see a lot. You're going to get you know some kind of proposal. Like they're going to just tell you the deliverables at first. Um, Do not make your decision based on that only. Drill down on getting a media kit, which basically will just list. I mean, I think most people are probably familiar with it. It lists more information, you know, um, impressions, subscribers, reach, whatever it is. Um, You can also ask for, you touched on this a little bit, but you can ask for case studies. You can ask for campaign metrics from a similar client. Um, Some are really careful about what they divulge. Right, but, right. You don't I want to mean, share trade secrets. Yeah, they could or, yeah. remove the name and say, hey, you know, another tourism client saw this success. Um, and then when you're looking at online, if you're running banner ads or e-newsletters or social ads with a publication, whatever it is, I would definitely ask for their website metrics. So monthly unique visitors, you know, click-through rates, open, average open rate on email. This isn't something that most vendors automatically send that first email. Right. They send you, hey, you can get X, Y, Z. Here's the price. Um, and maybe a few, a few metric points.
0: And don't you think asking those questions, the right questions, makes them realize, hey, I'm probably not going to be able to pull the wool over their eyes, yes. right?
1: Yes. I mean, because it's hard to argue with data. Um, some vendors, if you're wanting uh, website metrics, can share with you, like, some Google Analytics data that they have on their website. But just however much info you can get from them, don't be afraid to ask. Um, ask it and see what you can get.
0: Great, great. Okay, now a couple more questions for you. I think I think one that I just want to want to make sure that everybody's aware of is what if I'm planning traditional media for my destination. What do I need to watch out for? What do I need to be careful of? What gotchas are out there?
1: Yeah, I a few come to mind initially. Um, if you're looking into radio specifically. There are so many different ways that radio stations can pull their rankings. So if you are asking for a ranking report, which just lists, you know, cum like number of listeners um, per day part in a certain demographic, there's a lot of different demographics out there and a lot of different day parts. So depending on what they pull, they're going to tell you they're the top station. <laughs> right. Every single radio is going to tell you they're the top station. So you really have to know, say, Okay, no, I want to see 25 to 54 year olds Monday through Friday, 6A to 7P. I want to see that ranking. So if you just ask for a ranking, they're going to send you something that shows them at the top.
0: And we buy a lot of radio. We're not we're not criticizing radio as an industry or anything like that. But there are so many different ways to show the data if you don't really prepare yourself and say, I need this age group during this time of day, you're going to get data that doesn't give you what you need to make a decision, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So understand kind of when your customer, ideal customers, listening and then ask for the data in that day part. Um, if it's drive time, ask for drive time. <laughs> ask for the demo breakdown. Um, anyway, so it's kind of funny. And, I mean, of course, they have to showcase what they're great at, and I don't blame them for that at all. But it is something that you'll come across a lot on radio.
0: Great point. What else? Yeah.
1: Oh, let me think. Um, I would say one thing we come across a lot. I know, especially in tourism, I know a lot of you DMOs out there are attending a lot of trade shows, and so you're, you know, coming face to face with a lot of the same vendors and relationships build. And I would just caution, you know, ideally they have a great product that fits your target audience and then you have a relationship on top of that that's perfect, right? And then it serves you well. There are some cases where you build that personal relationship, but maybe they, you know, their publication doesn't target your target audience exactly. Um, and people feel a little bit pressured to buy with them or to spend money with them. I know there's a lot of politics and yeah. some tourism areas. So I would just say, you know, that money is precious use it the best you can target your target audience. Um, and if a certain publication, you're not sure if it does or, you know, maybe the prices are a little bit high just because it's a personal relationship doesn't mean that you can't ask for them to lower it or maybe look into other options at least.
0: Yeah. I mean, the general rule of business is people do business with people they know, like, and trust, right? Sure. Like that, that's age old, uh, situation. However, when we're talking media, the relationship is not the most important thing because it's not apples to apples. You need to get the very best media outlet to reach your target personas. And hopefully, once you've made that decision, you build a great relationship with that media vendor. But when you reverse that and you buy the relationship and not the actual medium, in a lot of cases, you end up wasting your money but building a great relationship. And, and the question I ask in a lot of cases is like, how close would you be if you didn't spend that money? Would you still be as close of right. friends? And, and are you really friends or are they just really glad you spend that money with them? <laughs> right. right.
1: And I mean, not to knock vendors. We love our vendors that do well for us. But it's, it's true in some scenarios. Yeah. One other thing I was thinking about while we were talking to um, to watch out for a lot of a lot of print, you'll buy a combo, you'll buy part print and part digital, um, which is smart. I love that option. But for for the print digital aspect, they'll sell um, social media posts and they'll just tell you how many likes they have, how many likes on Facebook, how many likes on Instagram, which which does tell us some things. Right. But if you're looking at it seriously, I would look at engagement. So I would look at, are people, like, okay, they have a good following. Does that following interact with them? Are they interested in what they post? Do they have good content? So that's something to kind of watch out for, too. You'll get, sometimes it's added value, like, oh, we're going to throw in two Facebook posts and an Instagram post, which I love and we do a lot of, but um, I would just say make sure it's a quality quality that you're receiving, quality of their channel. And we
0: talked about that a lot with a couple of the episodes earlier where we talked about uh, influencer marketing. It's the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Choosing the right influencer has a lot more to do with engagement than actual number of followers. And I think the same thing goes for what you're saying here. The other thing I would say to watch out for is a lot of traditional media have massive email lists, right? And my first question when somebody says, you know what, we're going to throw in an email blast, Uh, With this, it's like cool. What's your open rate?
1: Yep, open rate and click through rates on a comparable client. You know what? How many clicks are you actually seeing with other tourism? I don't
0: care how many subscribers you have to your email list if you have a zero percent click through rate. You know, Mm, so I, you know, things like that to watch out for. I think that's a great point.
1: Yeah, no, that's good. Awesome. Agree on that.
0: Okay, Sasha. So obviously, we've talked. We've covered a lot of ground on traditional (laughs) media today. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you feel like would really benefit our listeners to to know as they're trying to figure out an approach buying traditional media?
1: Yeah. One thing that sticks out to me would be frequency i see it a lot where you know you only want to spend a little bit or the vendor's trying to get you the absolute best deal but weeds down your frequency i would be careful um with anything below like a three or four in general now some markets that you're already established in maybe you can get away with a little bit less like there are times that we do buy less than that but yeah it's just it's very important that you're reaching your audience enough times. With traditional media, you just have to reach them more than once or twice. So you're already investing in traditional media. Do it right and invest enough so that it is profitable. Like even if you are investing but it's a smaller amount and your frequency is low, I don't think it's going to benefit you like you would want it to. So – choose one if you have to, but do it right.
0: Such a great point. Such a great point. Because if you think about traditional media, the real difference between traditional and digital media is in digital media, they are so close to the ability to make a purchase. I'm on my computer, I'm seeing a banner ad, guess what, I can click through and buy, right? If I'm hearing it on the radio, or I'm seeing it on TV, or I've seen it in a publication, right? I'm not in the decision making phase, right? And so I I'm not I might not be at a computer. And so frequency is so much more critical for traditional media and, and still critical in digital media, but so much more critical because people are not in the position to make a decision immediately when they see hear or view the ad, right? Yes,
1: and especially if you're getting into a channel that you haven't been on before. Like if you're starting to advertise in a magazine you've never advertised in, you have to build your following a little bit. You have to build that audience. Um, So yeah, I I feel strongly about frequency.
0: (laughs) Great point, great point. Sasha, it's been good to have you today.
1: Hey, thanks so much. Yeah,
0: thanks for taking the time to come on.
1: No problem.
0: Well, everybody, this has been another episode of the Destination Marketing Podcast. We appreciate you listening. A reminder to join the Destination Marketers LinkedIn group. Uh, we'll have Sasha maybe put together a couple of the tips that she she went over today, and she'll post those in the Destination Marketers LinkedIn group, and you can grab them there. Uh, thanks again, everybody, and we'll see you next week.